Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Kodiak Shack podcast. Today, I have my white whale. I have Debt24. They are the guys that I learned about right before I left active duty. Uh, And they are, I'll say it so they don't have to because they are probably too humble to do it, uh, the gold standard in DOD innovation, especially in AETC. Uh, So super excited to uh, speak with these guys. I have uh, Tiger, who is the commander there. And then I have Slayer, who is one of the uh, one of the line IP ADO types who's been there for years now. I don't know how you're able to do that and uh, stick around. So lucky you. Uh, But Slayer and uh, Tiger, go ahead and uh, tell us about yourselves. Go ahead. Cool. Uh, so thanks, Vader. Yeah, I think I think we met last year when you guys came out with the Holloman contingent. So my background is I flew C-17s operationally, and then that was one assignment. Then I went to Vance, and I did about two years of Vance flying T-6s before I ended up, in, as we say, my, my years here at the debt. So I showed up in fall of 2020, and so that was right at the tail end, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, the tail end of version three of Pilot Training Next. And that was right before we got into pilot training next advanced is what we called it at the time. And so that was a T6 F fighter bomber fundamentals. And maybe we can deep dive into that a little bit. And so I jumped into that program. I've been here for about a year and a half. And so I was able to take a lot of the lessons learned from what the guys had kind of uncovered before me. And I basically was able to just kind of carry the ball forward. So since I've been in the debt, that's when I jumped into the innovation space and that's really where it all began for me, where I started figuring out what, what everyone was doing innovation wise across the DOD. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, a little bit about me, I flew RC-135s as an EWO for, for a few years and went to pilot training and flew tankers and then came back to ATC. Um, and that was around about the time, maybe a year or two before this whole pilot training next thing started. And so um, it definitely caught the bug at an AFWorks event you know, they, they do a great job of, of creating a lot of buzz and, and excitement. And so, um, and found out there was a lot of like-minded people out there, especially in the pilot training space. And so we all kind of started this grassroots level at the same time PTN was starting. And so um, there were, there was just this, you know, silent, you know, what we called ourselves as a virtuous insurgency. Like we're going to transform pilot training, you know, from, from the grassroots up. And fortunately there was a lot of, um, you know, geo level advocacy, you know, in ATC at that time that actually allowed this, you know, this little brush fire actually turn into something that's raging. And so, um, you know, came up here to 19th Air Force staff the last few years and, um, you know, worked on the, the, the scaling side of, um, of this whole initiative, you know, all the lessons learned that came out of pilot training next, uh, ultimately went scaled out to uh, the UPT basis. And so I uh, just took command, you know, three months ago. And so relatively new in the seat, but really excited to continue to carry on, um, you know, what has been put um, or at least what has been established um, as, 
you know, standard practice here in Debt 24 for our next mission. Yeah. Well, I, I got an opportunity while I was still active duty to come visit and I, I met Slayer and I, I got a chat with Motor, so your predecessor. Yeah. And uh, and I was just so impressed with uh, the program and what was going on there because it's it's across the board. So it's not you're not a one trick pony where it's like, hey, we have PTN. You have it all. You have your human performance team and all the sports psychology going on and the physicality side of flying airplanes. And then you have your PTN stuff in the VR and the, I think you were working on either AR or XR. So we can kind of see where that's gotten now. Um, but yeah, the, it's funny Slayer. I assumed when I got there, it seemed like you'd been there for a long time. Cause you were so knowledgeable. You were, you, it seemed like you'd been doing this for five or 10 years. So it's funny. You only got there in 2020, but Slayer, when you, ended up there, was that kind of your goal? Like, Hey, I want to be at debt 24. I want to be in the innovation space. Or was it more, you were going back to, uh, instruct at pilot training and you ended up in debt 24. Yeah. So I think there's, there's twofold. So I, this kind of gets more personal as you kind of navigate the career path. And if you're supposed to stay on, you know, the, the slated career pathway, then my path was to go back to AMC and I was supposed to go back and continue my progression uh, back in the C-17. But I kind of had been catering my instructional skill set and I was really finding that I enjoyed that a lot. And one of the places that was leveraging uh, IP development was Pilot Training Next. And they were taking a lot of time to really groom their instructors to make sure that that was becoming a foundation of, of the future of, of instruction and the future of Pilot Training Next. So that was probably what caught my attention first. And then if you call it innovation, I, I kind of look at it more as, as problem solving. Hey, if this system can be improved, how would you improve this system? Go. So rather than being in a, a cookie cutter, maybe ADO type environment where I'm, my scope of influence is, is really going to be repetitive and redundant. I'm going to do the same things probably throughout the week. Every when, The moment I hit pilot training next, my challenges in the problem sets we were given really differed really from the mission set. So every couple of months we'd be seeing something new. So I chose it not really knowing where it would end up and pilot training next or debt to four has been, it's been awesome to see new and get to do both instruction and innovation in one place. Yeah. And I love that because I think, you know, on the operational side, everything is like, Hey, let's, let's make it happen. Let's figure out ways to get things done. Uh, and then you go to the FTU and it's like, just put your nose to that grindstone and don't lift it up. But debt 24 is very much like, let's do this better. Let's not just do the same thing over and over just because we've done it in the past. So Tiger, is that, it sounds like you kind of got bit by the innovation bug and then you kind of were able to come over. So how was that transition? You kind of pushed more to end up there? Yeah, most definitely. You know, especially at the, you know, the point that I'm at in my career, you, like Slayer was saying, you, you kind of, uh, you kind of have to, um, I don't want to say make a decision, but like, you know, if you want to, um, you know, go down the leadership r route, is which is something that I definitely valued, uh, but also stay in this innovation space. There's not too many places that you could do that. Um, and so I just think that, you know, everything, the stars aligned, you know, where the opportunity, um, you know, to command here at Debt24 um, presented itself. And uh, fortunately, I'd worked, you know, for, um, you know, our two star and recognize the work that I was doing up there and, and look to kind of continue because the, the, the big thing uh, that, you know, we Slayer C-17, I flew 135s, 
you know, we have the Strike Eagle folks here, you know, Viper folks uh, as well. Um, there's so many different people from so many different backgrounds, but there's a there's a common thread and a common, you know, um, uh, the intangibles. It's it's passion, you know, and that and that passion is really at the heart of all of this. Is because we we either want to make things better, you know, for for the next guy, or um, you know, from a big Air Force standpoint, you know, we know that we have to do something different because tomorrow's fight is going to be very different, uh, and we need to be able to think differently now. And so that's what this program specifically. Uh, looks to get after for pilot training is to instill those things um, in our system um, to allow our students and our graduates to think more critically and less um, uh, scripted as pilot training used to be. So, yeah, and I think I think it is it is not even feasible at this point. You know, we talk about hey, try to do pilot training the way I went through pilot training. It's not possible just for the fact that the jets are a decade older and, and, you know, the people before me, they're a decade older for them. And so we can't just assume there's going to be the iron and the IP availability and the time and the ability to have a lengthened syllabus, uh, to produce pilots. Like we have to figure out a different way and leverage technology to do that. And I think that's what, as as an organization, you know, the Air Force probably was was late to the game to kind of use technology and try to build innovation into their pipelines and all that. But it seems like they've definitely tried to catch up rapidly, especially against other uh, DOD organizations. It seems like the Air Force is far and away the, the most uh, driven on innovation and stuff like that. So getting in to some of the innovation, uh, we'll, we'll jump right into kind of PTN. So initially PTN kind of got a bad name, uh, which is unfortunate because the problem is people who didn't know what they were talking about were just kind of saying stuff. And then that became the narrative. And it was really unfortunate because the reality is, which one of my friends said exactly kind of what we said before was, we all try to innovate and do better in the space that we're working and change our processes. This is the same thing. So can you guys explain like where PTN started and then how it's made uh, successes and had its iterative process to what we know it to be today? Sure. I would say, you know, the, the initial, um, you know, kind of directive, if you will, of pilot training next was to see how fast you can create a pilot. You know, it was really about speed um, and using uh, one airplane in that particular case. So taking somebody, you know, pedestrian off the street into a T6, getting the ready, FTU ready in six months or less. And so uh, I think that was definitely um, a noble goal just to see in a small use case what you could do. I think one of the things that kind of gets lost in that also, that experiment was um, there was actually uh, some enlisted folks uh, as a part of that cohort as well. Um, to see can, you know, with not the same background, uh, can they be successful? And, you know, definitely learned a lot of things along the way. And so um, as we learned things during that first iteration and led into t version two and three in the T6A and the T6B, um, we realized, you know, from a system standpoint, um, it doesn't really behoove us to go too much faster. It ended up morphing into more of a quality improvement uh, quality improvement by changing the, the the way the syllabus is more flexible to allow you to go as fast as you are proficient, um, but also to be able to give you 
um, opportunities where you need potentially more instruction, more rides, you know, uh, those types of things allow you to kind of bank those stories and, and, and reallocate them, if you will. And so um, that's kind of how this whole effort has transitioned. Um, and so all the different, um, so if you think of Debt 24 uh, or Pilot Training Next um, as a Swiss Army knife, you know, we've been given different mission sets, different tools, um, but ultimately foundationally the, 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 the concepts are, are exactly the same. Um, so first it was T6A and then T6B, see what we can get out of that. Uh, and then we're the Air Force is facing a T1 divestiture. And so they look to the debt, you know, before I got here and says, come up with a SIM only program uh, to basically make an equivalent product that goes up to the FTU. And so that's what that uh, the debt just finished up before I took over. So that's in the process of scaling. And now looking forward, again, applying those same principles um, to um, the fighter, you know, fighter bound or the calf. Uh, folks in fighter bomber fundamentals. And so uh, the way that we look at that is an expansion of IFF. And so think about putting those two courses together to leverage the expertise, the organic 11F expertise in AETC throughout from day one of training. So, um, and we'll see what's next, but um, but that's kind of the, you know, evolution. I don't know, you were here for the execution of a lot of stuff, Jim, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think it did change, and I think a lot of the narrative has has you know been communicated as you said. And I mean, there was there was some vocal people you know initially, but I, I think that was coming from, and I don't know if the initial, as you said, the initial direction was to go fast. And so when that happened, the people they they flew T six A's out of Austin Bergstrom, so those IPs went up there, and that was a six month course. And so it was really take anyone across the streets, as you're saying, so various backgrounds, can we really expand the aperture of our candidates? And if they can, can we make them FTU ready in six months? And I think those first three iterations, there was 38 students and only one was eliminated. And the students were like, as everyone who saw them at the FTUs, like, hey, I can tell these guys didn't fly a fast jet. I can tell that they're different. I can tell that they only flew T6 speeds and, and their, their brain processor operates that way. But as far as the feasibility, I think those guys achieved that. And then as, as you expanded upon, the, the mission set changed. And it was, hey, we're not going to see how many pilots can we, we can make in the speed. Exactly as you said, let's take a lot of the technology that's across the streets. And now we already have this experimental bed that is pilot training next. And let's go through them, which has already been kind of breaking glass and figuring things out. And so that's where you started to see, let's say, the synthetic environment the ITD, the immersive training devices, as you started seeing the, the craft folk, the comprehensive readiness aircrew flight training, the human performance aspect. And then you took these concepts that all came from going fast and then it moved into that quality component. And so that's where we're at now as you starting to see probably more robust syllabus attacking more competencies and then trying to leverage the, the ITDs in the process that's where we're at now where we don't really talk about the speed right now. It really is how can we make a quality product given the limiting factors we have now. As you're talking about aging fleets, lesser airframes, uh, CSIs retiring, now how can we take all of those factors and still deliver a product that the FTUs are, are waiting for and expect? And one thing that I've, I've appreciated about the process is We've all seen that where people get going on a direction and then they say, 
even though it's not, it may not be hundred percent perfect. They just keep going. And what I think is nice about PTN and it's, it's morphed and it's changed. And it said, this is where we succeeded by leveraging innovation. This is where we're seeing that we have limitations. We're going to bring back more sorties or we're going to bank those sorties so we can actually better allocate them. Uh, so I think it's good because it was a very good, it seemed at least as an outsider, a methodical process of how can we truly do this better? Not how can we rubber stamp a new syllabus and then just pump pilots through, uh, which is great. So one of the things walking into the building, uh, so you guys are at Randolph and you're walking in and it's like, I mean, it looks like a World War II aircraft hangar, which I thought was awesome. Uh, but then you go inside and it's it's anything but. I mean, it is very advanced. Um, you know, I guess, I don't know what the facilities are, like uh, buildings or, or the, the what are the structures? In, yeah, yeah. The modulars inside the hangar, yeah. Yeah, so in this hangar, there are these like wildly advanced modular rooms that are briefing rooms and a sim bay. And then you walk out and it's this like sweet uh, gym that you get to work out in, but it's not just that cranking weights. It's you have human performance people there. You have strength coaches, you have the, uh, I didn't get to use the machine, but where you get to like touch all the buttons and everything. So one thing I learned, and maybe you guys can speak to the, uh, the sports psychology side of it. Uh, I, I learned that, you can train yourself to adjust your near and far focal vision faster via some of the sports psychology and some of the, the tools and techs and techniques they have, which blew my mind. I had, I couldn't, I couldn't even understand that at the beginning. So what is, how do you feel that like the human performance, the craft side plays into uh, building a pilot and just kind of sustaining a pilot throughout yeah, so when you when you look at crafts, and I think they've been doing a good job as they've evolved. And so initially, I think what they were pursuing was more of the athletic component, knowing that fighter pilots are going to be sustaining high Gs. Cool, how can I build the muscular endurance, the cardio endurance for them to be able to sustain that kind of, of mission set over a career? And so there's a couple aspects that if you can move in the mobility and build in the strength, Hopefully you get a lot more longevity out of these pilots and hopefully that their, their necks and backs aren't breaking down faster. And if you can influence these pilots habit patterns from pilot training, then hopefully you can influence actual decision and behaviors over a career. So I think, I think when they're trying to approach pilots is like very impressive. Uh, a lot of the exercises you're talking about. Yeah. I think a lot of it's task management, a lot of reflexes and what they do that I enjoy is they'll do that during workouts. So it's not when you're fresh. It's never when you're relaxed. It's usually when you you would be wanting to take a breather from your exercise. And now they're going to take you from a physically demanding place to a cognitively demanding exercise. So they've been working on that. And recently, a conversation I had with one of the individuals today is they were determining essentially your field of view based on the mobility of your neck. So in defensive BFM, how, for each centimeter of rotation, how much, how many degrees of field of view do you actually gain back? And so now I think they went from the very athletic component and they're starting to hone in on specifically our flying skill sets, which I think in the future is exactly where we're going to want our craft team to be. So I think, I think they've definitely in just a short amount of time really figured out what our skill set is and what we're trying to get after from the human performance aspect. 
See, that's awesome. And the uh, I started watching Formula One a couple of years ago. Uh, do you guys watch uh, Drive to Survive? Let's go, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, literally, my wife and I are sitting there. We're watching, uh, like, we're just cruising Netflix, as people do. And uh, it's like Drive to Survive. And then it says, these guys have a near fighter pilot mentality. And I was like, okay, we'll watch this one. <laughs> you know, we'll see what these guys got. But the, uh, but I think it's it's, I mean, obviously, that's important because you know, beating people up in airplanes and it's not just fighters. I mean, fighters obviously beat people up, but the fact that people are flying 10, 12 hour, 15 hour sorties, like flying across the pond, doing all that stuff and then turning around and 30 hours later, not even like two days later, they do it again. Uh, So the reality is like strength and mobility is important across everyone because I mean, you can, it is, it is, it's known that as you get older, you're just not going to be as athletic. You're not going to be as mobile. You're not going to be, you know, able to be do the fitness stuff because even our fitness standards kind of degrade over the years. Like, Hey, you're 30 now you're 35 now you're 40 now. So it's, it's understandable. But what we want to do is delay that or make a fighting force that can survive not only pulling G's, but just sitting in jets for hours and hours and hours or, trip turning in a T6 or a T38, like uh, in UPT. And, and so that's one of the things that I was, I told my OG who I actually brought out to come visit you guys. Uh, he asked me what I thought about the whole craft and the human performance side. And I told him like, if this was here, my, when I was going through pilot training, I never would have left. Like I was just already on my way out. And then they were like, Oh, here's like this amazing thing that you've wanted for your entire career. And I was like, well, Thanks, but sorry. Uh, yeah. So one of the other things that I, I like about this whole process is it's, it's more holistic. So it's not saying in a vacuum we are modifying pilot training and in a vacuum we are working on the physicality of pilots. We're doing all of these things together. And one of the other aspects, and hopefully you guys can speak to this, is the academic side. So the adaptive learning, uh, because it's not just – we're leveraging innovation for sims, but we're leveraging innovation on the adaptive learning and the academics and the um, the uh, testing rigors for the students. So can you guys speak to that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, when we went through pilot training, um, we talked about uh, the way I like to describe it is our spectrum of devices. Um, so you have the airplane, um, you know, that, that's, that's good for, for a lot of things, most things. Uh, then you have the simulator, and then you have this big stack of books, you know, or at least these papers from the bookstore, right? And then just give you that, that, that big cardboard box, and it's like, go learn how to be a pilot. Um, but now what we're trying to do um, is to leverage, so you still have the airplane, you still have the simulator, but you're trying to develop tools to the left of that, you know, so immersive, so VR, or extended reality, where it makes sense. Um, then you also have a uh, standalone headset that allows you to watch 360 video and, and those types of things. And then, you know, you have an iPad now that we didn't have when we were going through. And so um, that's just a great tool because, you know, with a Chrome browser, you know, you literally can have access to um, all your content, but it also opens up the opportunity for adaptive content. And that's one thing um, because we're, we're relatively short on um, actually human instructors in, in the flight room, right? And so uh, if we say that 
that's the expert that we need, that everybody needs a one-to-one, you know, their own personal coach. Yeah, sure. We would all be great, but that's just not the reality. And so how do you create uh, learning opportunities when humans aren't available or aren't present is you need to improve the tools. You need to improve the content and you also need to improve the, uh, the method of delivery. And that's where adaptive, you know, by, by taking that content, um, you know, breaking it apart and and to compartmentalize, uh, you know, and and tagging appropriately uh, and putting it in the cloud. Now you let the machine, whether it be AI or ML, um, actually deliver the content that you need um, based on your answers, based on your confidence, based on the time it took you to, you know, and or even even more so where we want to get to is based on your performance. You just got back from a flight. They filled out a great sheet on you. You know, we we um, determined subjectively uh, that um, that you had a GK problem, you know, or at least the root cause was, you know, general knowledge. Cool. Well, wouldn't it be great if your learning management system now said, hey, your homework is, you know, here's all this content. Hey, just take a look at this instead of, hey, go look that up. It's like, yeah. well, where do I look it up? I just go look it up, you know, and come back. Yeah. So um, I think that's the opportunity that adaptive content and adapt- adaptive uh, academics it gives us in the future. Yeah, that's what. Uh, so I I was while I was uh, doing the whole innovation thing, I kind of got a couple directives, and one of the directives was work on adaptive learning for the F sixteen FTU, and the other one was common ITDs. Yep. And um, so I didn't get either across the line because I'm dirtbag. But uh, <laughs> well, what we found was, and this is what I love about the innovation space, is that it it's choose your own adventure. Like you pick what fits what you need and what you want. Where at Holloman, we said, hey, we have a ton of students. We want common ITDs to make that low cost trainer. But we have a slightly different directive. We have very specific button pushes and very specific aerodynamics that we need the students to be able to learn. So we were trying to modify it to fit our stuff. And then we found out we have all these UTDs, which are uh, 180 degree instantaneous field of view, uh, full cockpit that have 30% utilization rate. And so it's like, well, maybe we don't like they're open 6am to 6pm and they're only used 30% of the time. So Maybe we don't need the common ITD. Let's put our effort and our time into the adaptive learning side. So that's what I liked where it wasn't just, hey, there's there's common ITDs that need to be unpacked. It was, do they fit here? Does it make sense here? And then when we were like, hey, we actually have more than enough Sims, and that's only a Holloman thing. Like Holloman is the probably the only F-16 base that has that. We didn't need it. One thing that I learned about adaptive learning was two things, because they told me adaptive learning, you know, it's, it's this. And then I said, oh, like this massive question bank. And they were like, question bank's gone. Like it's not, it's not just teaching the test. And I, it, I struggled to wrap my mind around, like I couldn't envision what, how adaptive learning was doing it, but it was literally taking everything you know and then poking holes. And then every spot where it was like, oh, you're weak there, your GK is weak there, or you don't understand how to do this clover leaf or whatever, we're going to teach you, uh, which I thought was was amazing. Um, one of the things I saw was the the grade sheet. Are you guys using the grade sheet that I saw with, uh, I think it was Dr. Jill that uh, did it? Because it's like a hundred or so items. It was like 20 items just for a takeoff. So how, how is that? Because that seems that seems daunting. 
So I think it's important to, um, you know, for, for DEF 24 specifically, um, you know, in the small group tryouts for each of the courses, whether it be air mobility fundamentals, the sim only course or T6, uh, T6B, um, you know, those are very much prototypes here. Um, but they informed what is actually being scaled out uh, right now. So um, I guess I'll speak to the other side, the scaling side, and I'll let Slayer kind of talk a little bit about the great sheet here specifically. So while it's not probably not as uh, expansive, <laughs> uh, it definitely has the level of fidelity that you need to be able to, um, you know, put multiple events, you know, landings, you know, it's not just one place to put one grade for 12 landings. You can yeah. put 12 landings and actually grade them appropriately because then at the end of that, you can you start to establish trends, right? And so it's the data on the back end of that um, that, that is currently being scaled out um, as well. So to what you guys used. Yeah, so I'll, I'll answer that. And then I actually have a question for you. I think we kind of yeah. touched on it. But those great sheets, yeah, they were very expansive and they were, they were great for a data collection standpoint. But one of the lim lim limiting factors that you already alluded to is T6 guys, T38 guys, double turn, triple turn. And if you have three very expansive grade sheets, awesome amounts of data, but you're putting that extra burden on your guys who you need that amount of volume through. So we went through it, and I think for the scope of our experiment, based on the amount of students, the amount of IPs we had available, it worked for us, and it helped inform a lot of the research in identifying the gaps in our own students. But at the same time, it was like, we need to find a middle-of-the-road product that's actually going to be be good for the guys on the streets and everyone at the UPT bases. But one question I had for you is you talked about the underutilization under of the Sims at Holloman. Were you guys, did you guys move towards augmented reality or any kind of mixed reality solution to turn those into, because those would be great simulators if underutilized, right? Versus like having to build an ITD? Yeah, so we... Uh... So one of the, before I answer that, one of the things that it reminded me of was uh, in, in the, the data gathering, because that's so important, right? When you're working on adaptive learning or you're working on using computers, they need data and not just data, but good data. And I still remember when I was in T-38s, I was getting ready to fly a formation approach. Uh, so I'm barely hanging on and uh, I type in the wrong, like something into the T-38. So my like steer point is somewhere else and the IP in the back seat is like, what did you type in? Like, where are you pointing? And I was like, I don't know, right? Now. Like, I'm just <laughs> trying. And, uh, and he told me, and I like, it just like seared into my brain. He was like, garbage in, garbage out. And that's the whole thing. Well, like with adaptive yeah. learning, like if you don't give it good data, you're not going to get good data. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so kind of shifting back. Yeah. So what we, what we found at Holloman was Holloman was, has, is the largest F F16 FTU right now. It has three, uh, three squadrons of, uh, 12 plus or minus a couple students, uh, that are graduating six years, probably close to like seven and a half or six months, close to seven and a half months per class. Um, but what they've done is pretty much every room that can be accredited, and fit a UTD, they've put one there. Nice. So the nice thing is they have eight MTCs, which is like the full scale, the awesome, like what you would want to train in, they have eight of those. And so they also have, I, my, these numbers are probably stale, I think six or seven uh, UTDs. 
So they have the full scale, everything you would ever want out of a simulator, eight of those. And then they have another six or seven UTDs. So there was literally just, there, there were so many that the students never had a problem. If they were like, hey, I've got two hours of white space in my schedule, I'm going to go ahead and pick up a sim. And weird, they could. The yeah. The only downside, and this was going to be a problem with common ITDs also, was location. So the 8th Fighter Squadron had two UTDs in their building, and then across the parking lot had four MTCs. So they had, I mean, and the squadron was super nice. I mean, it was it was like an old... I don't know, super secret space building that they had to renovate because it was like full of, uh, full of uh, centipedes and uh, scorpions. So uh, slightly treacherous, but, um, <laughs> but they renovated. So it was a very nice building and now it had everything the students want. So they could walk out of the vault, walk over literally a room in the building and Oh, Sims open, hop in the Sim and do that. The other two squadrons didn't have much space they, uh, so they weren't going to have common ITDs in the building anyway. So they had to drive across base to get to either UTDs, MTCs, or where we were going to put the common ITDs. So that, that's kind of the downside is, you know, every student doesn't get the same hack because every squadron's not exactly the same. And that's just a reality of, you know, picking up, you know, filling in open buildings and stuff like that. I think it's awesome taking what you have and then making it accessible because that's going to just drive up drive up the usability and the amount of involvement with that. So that's fantastic. And I, I think that exactly you're saying, there's a lot of different opportunities with very different solutions and just taking, especially if Holloman has that one unique case, like that's, that's fantastic. That's cool. Yeah. Well, and, and what it allows us to do is, is Holloman can then put more effort and money and time into adaptive learning or something else that can benefit other bases while Luke or Tucson or Kelly, who are one of the smaller bases or any F-16 base around the world that doesn't have MTCs at their base can now get common ITDs and get some, some functionality out of it. So there's, it's not that they're not useful for the F-16. It's just specifically at Holloman, it wasn't. So someone else can kind of tackle that one. Um, but yeah, I think that was, that was great. Cause it was literally one of those go do. I went out and I was like, Hey, sir, this is why, it just doesn't make sense for us. And they were like, sweet, what else are we going to do? And then we moved on somewhere else. And then we, we kind of were able to explore different uh, avenues of stuff. Uh, one thing I was going to ask is uh, augmented or mixed reality. So on the podcast of people listen before, they've, they've probably heard the difference between the two. But how are you guys utilizing augmented or mixed reality for your uh, training nowadays? Yeah, sure. I think the most notable... Uh, so. That technology, specifically mixed reality, um, had been immature for a while. It's the one that's kind of lagging a little bit. It took a lot of software development to integrate, you know, specifically on the flying training side of things, integrate hardware, um, you know, and it's not necessarily aircraft-specific hardware, sometimes 3D-printed stuff um, with a virtual environment, and, and it was very difficult. And there's different techniques, whether it be green screen or, um, you know, or pass-through camera or, or whatever the case is, um, you know, and then also technology, the headset, the HMD has come a long way, you know, so Vario specifically in their XR3 is the, the leading edge, if you will. And so we're only within the last six months starting to see that, hey, this is within the realm of possible. Uh, the technical techniques of integration um, was also something that's kind of unique. And so 
for the Air Mobility Fundamental Sim Only program, uh, we wanted to leverage because the airplane's going away. So you have the legacy sim, uh, but you also need another device. Again, that spectrum of devices, right? And so you needed another device that was of higher quality than all virtual experience. Um, and specifically in a crude airplane, you know, like a T1 or, you know, going to any of the, um, you know, KC-135, C-17, crew concept and crew coordination is a, is a really big thing. And so um, being able to see uh, what, you know, what your co-pilot is putting into the FMS and where their hands are is, is really important. So that's where I think mixed reality is working. Um, so we're actually scaling out the solution. So our mid-tier device is what we call it. Uh, for that program um, incorporates mix, mixed reality. Um, so that's the first one. Um, and going forward uh, in our new mission, Fighter Bomber Fundamentals, so we're looking to capitalize on what we learned there and implement that in, into uh, that program as well. What do you got? Anything else? Yeah, so for the ITD, it was, it was great generation one. So obviously you know the difference between virtual reality. The moment I put this on, all of my vision is now in this synthetic environment, which means I, especially if the device is different than my aircraft, the habit patterns for where I'm reaching is different. And depending on your student, if he's in a transition phase or if he's in advanced formation phase, sometimes that matters, sometimes it matters less. But if we can move into a solution that capitalizes on the augmented reality, where now I actually get interaction with my, my ITD and I can see the UFCP, and I can actually put in the same button pushes I would as I fenced in if I was dialing in a localizer. And then now I can start to see my critical switches that we build into the enhanced ITD. And then if you wanted a checklist, an in-flight guide, your iPad, whatever you were using, now I think you make this immersive training device uh, about at least, you know, subjectively maybe a 40% more improved solution where now it is more advantageous and it's a better trainer in a lot more phases of flight than just maybe later on in the program or just learning um, visual references early on in the program. And I think the yeah, thing that think we that's... have to be care careful about is that um, it's a slippery slope, you know, uh, that you start to recreate the simulator and you recreate the And then, you know, so therefore your cost goes up and your access goes down because you can't buy as many. And, you know, and I think it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about with your use case of UTDs at home and, is that access, to be honest with you, access with a, you know, a somewhat good enough device is sometimes better than no access to a really great, app, really great device, right? So um, that's, that is the whole appeal of this lower end, um, you know, lightweight, lower, low cost simulator or simulation environment um, that, uh, that we just hadn't had up until now. How do you think uh, with kind of debt 24 debt 24 being so good at innovation now i mean obviously you kind of grow like learn and then you kind of uh kind of gain from the successes that have happened previously what do you think gives you guys the ability to kind of keep innovating and keep pressing forward uh so effectively and, and keep being kind of on that leading edge obviously it's your directive but what kind of either intrinsically for you guys or just in your organization allows you to do that yeah, I would say um, three things. Uh, the first thing being people. That's bar none, people. Uh, getting the right people in here um, that has the passion, that are given the wide berth of, you know, left and right limits to see what's in the realm of possible. That's how we got, that's how we got to where we're at. And so 
Um, and though that's, you know, as we're starting to bring on new folks, that was definitely a requirement to do you think differently? You know, the way I kind of characterize this whole space is kind of like a land of misfit toys. You know, so we have people coming from the CAF, the MAF, you know, the Bomber Air Forces as well, and, and AFSOC. And, you know, we're all kind of put together in this place and we all have different skill sets, but um, uh, somehow it just works, you know, because everybody has that kind of common passion and that creativity. And more importantly, the maneuvering airspace to be able to do that. Um, the, the next couple of things is uh, leadership advocacy. Um, so at the, geo, at the geo level specifically, um, you know, it, it came down from the chief. It, you know, transformed the way that we train innovation, you know, with general golfing, even beforehand being one of, um, you know, his priorities. Um, and then, you know, even further on down the chain, specifically here in AETC, you know, there was, there was very um, staunch advocates for, you know, for this. You know, as a unit, that's a direct reporting unit to the 19th or formerly the AETC commander and now the 19th Air Force commander. It just shows where AETC prioritizes innovation. Uh, so that sends a, sends a big message to that. Um, the last thing I'll say is uh, resources. Um, so uh, the way I like to describe it is flash to bang. If your flash to bang is um, short uh, and you can show small wins um, and you can show that um you are doing something effective with the resources that you have that, you know, the more trust you build and therefore the, the more resources uh, that your, you know, your leadership is willing to go out and get to fund, you know, whether it be air mobility fundamentals, sim only, fire bomber fundamentals, or try things. So um, I think that's, that's how we did it with those three things. Nice. Well, and I think the, uh, what would you guys say is the most kind of game-changing thing that you have kind of seen come out of Debt24 over the last few years? And kind of what do you see as the future of that uh, innovation? Man, okay. What a question. What is the, <laughs> yeah. what is the best What is the thing? only thing? Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so I guess I think, I think what I'm starting to see, and this is mostly so as we've been preparing for T30 at FBF, I'm starting to hear problem sets from other FTUs, other communities. And I think one of those problem sets, I'm just starting to hear a current theme. And I think as we had a conversation today about this, I think the synthetic environment and how that improves is going to be one of the biggest game changers in the future. And I say that in the sense of when I hear about F-35s and the FTUs communicate, just the amount of airspace required for them to actually effectively fly an exercise that they need. It, that is becoming like the real world resources are becoming a massive limiting factor. And I think as we can make the synthetic environment a viable training tool, I think it's going to open up a lot of avenues outside of just ATC, but to essentially maximize our resources and not just for us. And as we think of scenarios for T30 at FBF, but let's say you had a student in the immersive training device if it could be pre-programmed where he's number four in a four ship and those three planes are already loaded up. Well, now I don't need hardware. I don't need IPs and the scenario is already built. Take that same, same idea and put that in your FTU at, F6, at F-16s or F-35s. I think a lot of people are all running into a similar solution. And I think that that is only going to get more movement and utility, I think, in the next five or 10 years. One thing that I would say is that... Um 
and it's it's the student's willingness to push the limits of themselves. And so, uh, creating an environment to, to to be able to do to to be able to yeah to do that, not accept the uh, kind of cookie cutter you know flight profiles or, or missions. I'm gonna give you an example. So early on in this um, early on in this experimentation phase, uh, before we scaled out the lessons learned, um, they had innovation flights at each of the bases. And advanced specifically, they referred to them as as bonsai flights. And so uh, one of the students in this uh, experiment. Were you advanced when Matrix was there with the bonsai flights, or were you already down here? I was on my way out. I okay. think as bonsai was was mid. So mid-way. one of the students, um, you know, they're, you know, just you know, thinking about you know their profile, and you know, the instructor comes up and says, "Hey, they were going to do an album back, I think, to to Roswell. That's where the Widowmaker is." He's like, and it's like, "Oh, well, what do you think? What do you think? Would you want to try the the Widowmaker?" And he's like, "Well, what's the Widowmaker?" Oh well, that's this high altitude approach. It's really, you know, multiple nav aids, and you know, it's just it's a very complex thing, and you know, and, and kind of really building it up. And students like, hmm, you know what? That sounds very bonsai. Let's do that. I haven't hooked a ride in a while, you know. But it was just kind of that, you know, kind of like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's do it. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? I'll hook a ride, but I'm going to learn a lot from this experience. And I think it's that that intangible thing of students willing to push themselves. Um, you know, further than, you know, they would have traditionally gone. Um, that That's evident everywhere across UPT right now. And I like that. I mean, that is a better perspective than I had because my, my perspective was like, I just need to get through. Like, I don't want to hook a ride. Like, let's just get through here before they figure out I don't belong. Uh, and then we're going to be good. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I like that. And it's funny you said the Widowmaker because... Because at Hollum and obviously one of the one of the outbases is uh, Roswell, and so uh, one of the students is like, "Ah, oh, today we're doing the Widowmaker," and I had no idea, you know, because uh, I, I was like, "All right, well, we'll see how this goes." But yeah, that is that is quite the approach to have to fly. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is uh, one thing that I forgot to ask about, or I actually didn't even think to ask about yet, was um, talking about IP availability. Is there anything in the works? in the kind of AI or uh, kind of like replacing another person flying another sim for two ship rides or four ship rides where they can just fly against like just a general training aid flying rejoins and flying tack turns and stuff. You want, did you guys, did you guys use something here? Um, pre-recorded tracks. So I think conceptually we haven't actually, we haven't actually really proven that. But the technology in a lot of models already exists. And I know, I know DCS is a really unpopular term, but you get exactly that from DCS. When or if it's an F-16 or whatever adversary you see, you're going to fly against a scripted model. But we did have you know, some of our guys in pre- prepared 3D just putting planes in a 30-degree holding pattern. So you could do exactly that and you could practice your turning rejoins on it. But I think as you move into T-30 at FBF, exactly what you're saying getting those, those environments to where you have scripted planes where, where a student can actually work on his formation skills and that doesn't take any resources from IPs to just have to man that device. So I think exactly what you're saying is exactly where we're trying to take this next iteration. Nice. I think that's great because, we, I mean, we all talk about it. It's like, hey, there are, there are not enough IPs 
to do this task. And it's funny, I talk to innovation companies who end up working with either FTUs or pilot training or someone. They spend a lot of time with IPs and they're like, your time is insanely allocated. They're like, you are this like expert in your field and you're needed everywhere. You're needed at the Sims, you're needed on the flight line, you're needed in academics, you're needed to talk to the innovators. And they're like, how are you, literally the human is the linchpin that's just kind of keeping all of this afloat. And uh, which is great because it means that we are, we are diligently working to and doing our best to produce what we're producing. But it, it is wonderful having been an FTU instructor and, you know, knowing a lot of uh, UPT instructors, seeing that we're, we're using other things to leverage their time more effectively rather than just saying like, Hey, Oh, we have six hours of academics for that today. We got a guy for that. Oh, we, we need to trip turn someone. We got a guy for that. Like we can, we can make people's lives more, more reasonable uh, and still give them, them the opportunity to teach and gain all the benefits from UPT and, and working there, but maybe not as many of the drawbacks. How would you say, uh, so end of course critiques, mid course critiques, I assume those are common across everything. How, what kind of feedback are you getting from your students, um, you know, over the years? I think, um, you know, as we scaled out um, what we call UPT 2.5, basically the next evolution of, um, of, of pilot training, I think generally speaking, you get students that are, again, much more willing to kind of push the, push the, uh, the envelope. It's, it's a lot more flexible. It's a lot more tailored to that, uh, to that student. Um, I think in practice, I don't think we've realized the full, uh, full potential of it because there's an instructor development piece that the instructor that assumes that the instructor knows how to execute that syllabus, right, and and has those intangible um, skills, the soft skills to be able to adapt their the way that they deliver training um, to that student, um, and that that's still. I don't want to say lacking, but like it's just a thing that we just have not focused and, and prioritized. So I think uh, I don't think we fully realized what uh, what the possibilities of of these changes are yet. Um, that's, that's I think one of the things that uh, that Luke was working on was teaching their instructors how to teach, you know, and they were ta- spending a lot of time on, hey, like you're an instructor, congratulations. Now we're going to teach you truly how to teach people because if we're trying to leverage things, if we're leveraging technology and innovation, we also need to ensure that our IPs are mustered enough that they can now be capable of taking the the minimal time they have to debrief, whether it's in UPT or the FTU or even in the combat air force and taking that time and using it effectively. Cause you know, like, Fighter dudes love to be like, oh man, you know, a seven hour debrief. The reality is like most of that was probably wasted time. Like you could have probably, you know, trimmed a lot of that fat down to make that more useful learning. Uh, because again, at, at the end of that, the student is gaining most likely zero information. So, you know, spending that time more wisely um, with innovation, but also with our ability to teach and learn and ask the right questions. And and I think that's, that's huge. Uh, so I think, I don't know. I think it's all good. I'm, I'm super excited about the work you guys are doing. And I appreciate you guys taking the time because when I thought of the podcast, I thought, who would I want 
to be on here? Who do I want to talk about? Who do I want to learn from? Uh, and debt to four was at the top of that list, uh, because I was blown away when I showed up. I said, these guys are, are working to make things better and to change the game. Uh, and I love that. So I appreciate you guys taking the time. You guys have any parting shots before we get out of here? No, I just want to say thanks. Yeah. It's important to be able to get this message out there. Um, I think, um, you know, our last commander did a really great job of just kind of dispelling a lot of the, the early myths, you know, that we talked about here at the beginning. Um, and I think, you know, this message of innovation in flying training specifically um, is infectious um, and it can be infectious on both both ways. So, uh, you know, a platform like this for us to be able to tell our story is is great. So uh, thanks for the opportunity to to tell our story and keep this thing going forward. Yeah, man, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Just listening to some of your podcasts, just seeing who else is in the innovation space, who who has tools that can help us, who we should reach out to, who we should be in collaboration with. I, I think the direction you're taking it is is going to be really helpful, especially for us and then a lot of the other agencies just hearing who's tackling what projects. So, man, really huge fan. So, well, I appreciate that because that, that was the goal. The goal was just to connect people because – I struggled to get my feet under me in the innovation space to, to, to learn, to know who to talk to. And, uh, I probably sent far too many emails to you and motor, uh, in the first few months. Uh, cause I was like, I, I don't know what I don't know, you know? So hopefully this podcast, if it helps one person, then, then it's a total win. So if you guys want people to reach out to you, uh, kind of how could they reach out and, and tell you you're doing a great job or, or maybe collaborate? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think a great place is uh, you can shoot me an email. So steve.brionis at pttportal.com. Um, that's a great place to reach out to me directly, and we can be able to funnel that down to down to our teams. Uh, just to come and visit, you know, you can come down here and visit us at, uh, at Randolph anytime, and we're happy to show you around. We definitely got to get you back out here. We've changed a few things since the last time you've been out here. Um, actually, the beginning of November, I think, uh, sorry, October, uh, we're actually going to be hosting a Debt 24 PTN reunion. So the 4th nice. and the 5th. Um, so <laughs> if you want to participate in that, you're part of our team now. So, um, so definitely Happy come on out and be a good time. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, everybody, you know how to contact us, innovation, or uh, innovation, I love it, info at KodiakShack.com and check out the website, KodiakShack.com. Thanks again, guys. See ya. All right, See ya. Great. Thanks. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.